Would you please stand and join with me in the responsive call to worship written in your bulletin? Rend your hearts and not your garments, says the Lord. Return to the Lord your God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? He has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of us but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly? be seated. 
Please join me at this time for the prayer of confession and pardon in your bulletin this evening. And we will pray responsively this evening. Let's pray. My sisters and brothers, Christ shows us his love by becoming a humble servant. Let us draw near to God and confess our sin in the truth of God's Spirit. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. But Christ suffered and died for us, was raised from the dead and ascended on high for us, and continues to intercede for us. Believe the good news. If you have confessed your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Our first scripture reading is Exodus 12, 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, They must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, 
They are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. The second scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord.
Please remain standing for the gospel reading. Our gospel lesson this evening comes from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, and verses 31 through 38. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. It's been quite a night for the disciples. They have had this uh, intimate meal with Jesus, and he has talked to them about death, about his body and his blood. He has washed their feet. 
they have had discussions about all of these things, and then Jesus talks about being betrayed by one of them. And then you come to the point in the, in the evening when, after this talk of betrayal, Judas, who we know is going to betray Jesus, leaves. And now Jesus begins to, to get down to, to something extremely important that he wants to talk to them about. He begins by, by talking about being glorified. And, and it's clear as you, as you read this into this story that he is declaring that he will be glorified, the Father will be glorified only when he goes to the cross. It's an odd thing, isn't it, to, to think that, that the way of, of life, the way of glorification, the way of victory is the way of death and suffering and pain. And then Jesus um, tells them that he is going away and they cannot go with him. It's almost as though this, this word is, is a bit of, a, of an aside because it's connected to his glorification. He will be glorified not just on the cross but, but with the, the resurrection and then ultimately his ascension and, and all of the the uh, events that will take place when he returns. But that glorification will come as those things are revealed. And he says, I'm going to be glorified and, and you can't go with me. And then he says to them, but before I go, I want to tell you something. I have a new command I want to give you. Something central, something essential about what it means to be my people about what it means to be my followers on this earth. And, and he says, I, I want you to love one another. In fact, people will know, they only are going to know that you're my disciples if you love each other. The word love he uses here is, is agape. And both from the, the, the understanding of the way this word is used and, and just watching the way Jesus lives his life, even if you simply take the incidents that we have recorded in this chapter, we see clearly that the kind of love Jesus is describing is love that sacrifices for each other, that serves each other, love that gives of themselves for each other, love that, that is, supports each other, love that thinks more about others than about self. And he says to them, in essence, when I say love one another, this is what I'm talking about. Humbling yourself before each other. Giving, caring, supporting. And this is the sign that you are connected to me. That you love one another. It's not obey the law. It's not teach the truth. It's not believe the right things. As, as important as those are, it's love one another. All the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I want you to become a group of people who are so connected to each other that you would defend each other, that you would do anything for each other. You would take a sword for each other. You would go to prison for each other. You would never gossip about each other. You would never backbite about each other. You would never be jealous or envious of each other. You would never use each other for your own personal gain because you love each other. 
He says, this is my command to you. This is the focus of what I want you to know. Love one another. It's the key. It's, it's, it's what people are going to see and know of me when they look at you. It's interesting to me that, that you, when you, as you read through this passage as a whole, you hear you have Jesus saying, love one another. This is how you'll know my disciples. And, and Peter responds to that. And what is Peter's response? Lord, tell me more about love. No, he says, Lord, where are you going? You know, I, I, this love thing, love each other, that's great. But where are you going? And why can't we go with you? And that's what I really want to know about. What is it about us that, that we can't go with you? Why can't we go with you? We want to go too. And you see how Peter misses the point of what Jesus is trying to say. He's so focused on where Jesus is going and that they aren't able to go with him. He's completely, he completely misses this whole command. He's blind. He misses Jesus' point. I think Jesus talks about that he's going away in that moment simply to, uh, to, to know he's going to be leaving. But here's what I expect of you when I go. Love one another. And all Peter can think of is, why can't I go with you? Is it because you don't think that we can handle it? Well, we can. I don't know about these losers, but I can handle it. In fact, Jesus, I will, I will die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, really? You'll, you'll die for me? Before this whole thing is through, not once, but tw- not twice, but three times, you will deny me. And it's as though Peter completely misses Jesus' point. He is so enamored with this idea about where Jesus is going and and why he can't go with him that he misses the whole point of what Jesus is trying to help them understand. And I, I get the sense that Jesus is saying to Peter, this whole, the reason why you're going to deny me is because subconsciously you're already denying me. Subconsciously, you've already missed the point. Your, your, your whole focus is not about what I want for you. It's not about what I think the kingdom, what I want the kingdom to be. It's this distraction of where I'm going and why you can't go with me. Jesus goes on in chapter 14 to talk to them more about where he's going. And, and I think it's because he realizes they're just so enamored with it that he, unless he talks about it, that's all they're going to think about. Thousands of years later, the purpose, the plan, the, the focus of the kingdom hasn't changed. Jesus is saying to us, while I'm gone, my command is love one another. Care for one another. Support one another. Watch over one another. Give yourselves to one another. Serve one another as he has served us. Don't let the distractions keep you from focusing completely and fully on loving each other. What are the things that distract us from that central command to love? Well, we quickly gravitate toward the obvious. The things that everyone would look at and say, well, that's completely contrary to the kingdom of God. And those things do distract us and they're harmful. But I suspect that more, more than likely... The things that distract us from that central focus, from that central message, from that clear command, the things that distract us are good things. 
noble things. Working for a good cause. Accomplishing an important task. Finishing a long journey. Desiring people to know Christ. All important elements of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But is it possible that we can become so enamored with good things that we miss Christ's best thing? Is it possible that that we might focus our attention on, on important things and turn away from Christ's command about the most important thing? Do we trust Christ enough when he says, you can't go where I'm going, but I want you to stay here. I want you to represent me with love. That we so trust him that when we hear that command, we focus our attention on it. And we keep working to, to shove out the distractions that take central place and we obey his command. Because only as we obey that command can we then do any of the other things that we're called to do. To do good things, to do noble things, to, to care about causes, to tell people about Christ. Because as Jesus says, that the world will know we are his disciples when we love each other. As we receive the bread and the cup, we are declaring once again that the kingdom of God is first and foremost about God and that God is love. We eat and drink as a visible and joyous act of surrender, submission, obedience to Christ's command because we know that the one who goes to the cross can be trusted. As we gather at this table, we give thanks to God for the sacrifice of Christ and we ask for grace to keep our attention focused on his command to love one another.
Please join with me in the prayer of great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe. You created the heavens and the earth, and you saw that it was good. From the earth you bring forth bread and create the fruit of the vine. You formed us in your own image, delivered us from captivity, fed us manna in the wilderness, made covenant with us, and set before us the way of life. Therefore, with your people in all ages and the whole company of heaven, we join in the song of unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most holy and merciful God, time and again we turned aside from your way. We abused your gifts, yet you gave us the crowning gift in your Son, Jesus Christ. Emptying himself that our joy might be full, he fed the hungry, healed the afflicted, ate with the scorned and forgotten, washed his disciples' feet, and gave a holy meal as the pledge of his abiding presence. On the night he gave himself up for us, at table with those who would desert him and deny him, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, recalling your son's death and resurrection, his ascension and his abiding presence through your Holy Spirit, we ask you to accept this our sacrifice praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living, holy surrender of ourselves. We pray that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ. We may be renewed as his body and transformed into his likeness. We may faithfully serve him in the world and look forward to his coming in final victory. Through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever.
This evening we are going to serve you communion here at the altar rail. We invite you to, to come and kneel around the rail. If kneeling is difficult for you, please have a seat in one of the, the red chairs here and we will be glad to serve you there. We will uh, serve you and, and take the bread and take the cup and just you may feel free to eat and drink in your own time and we won't, we won't do that as, as a group, but just as you are ready to do so. As you come to the front and, and as you feel free to stay as long as you want, but when you're done, return to your seat and then as places open at the altar, others can come and fill in those places. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. If you come tonight with your heart open to Christ, with a desire to to follow Christ and to live in love with one another, then you're wholeheartedly invited to come to receive these gifts. So invite those of you who would like to come for the first serving to come now and kneel at the altar or sit in in the seats as we experience and receive the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. His body and blood.
centuries ago, the, um, as the church prepared for the high and holy day of Easter, the, the people of the, of the congregations wanted to make the church look as, as bright and clean and beautiful as possible. And so during the week, the week leading up to Easter, it was, it was clean the church time. And they scrubbed and uh, polished and everything they could. And of course, when you want to clean, you, you move things and you, you, you push things away from the wall and you take things out so that you can clean as thoroughly as possible, as is appropriate for the house of God. After a number of years of doing this, it, it suddenly dawned on people that this was a, a vivid image of the weekend that we are entering, that the, the church was, was stripped bare and stark as it was cleaned, and then everything was put back for Easter. And it began to dawn on them that this was a practice that maybe had more symbolism than they had at first realized. And so it became a practice of the ancient church to strip the church on the night of Maundy Thursday, symbolically describing and and visualizing the, the, the starkness of the death of Christ and of the world as Christ's Son goes to the cross and gives his life. And so tonight we renew this ancient practice of stripping the church.
Jesus went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lantern and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to befall him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Judean authorities seized Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had given counsel to the religious authorities that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. As this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered the court of the high priest, along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman who guarded at the gate said to Peter, Are not you also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself.
The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jewish people come together. I have said nothing secretly. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I, uh, what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, Are not you also one of the disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a kinsman of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the cock crowed. they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The religious authorities said to Pilate, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. This was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken, to show by what death he was to die. Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingdom 
were of this world, my servants would fight, that I may be ha- not be handed over to the religious authorities. But my kingship is not from this world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After Pilate had said this, he went to the religious authorities again and told them, I find no crime in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Will you have me release for you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him. For I find no crime in him. The religious authorities answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard these words, he was the more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me to you has the greater sin. Upon this, Pilate sought to release him, but the religious authorities cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. 
Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, in Hebrew, Gavata. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was the sixth hour. He said to the religious authorities, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. They handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of the Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Judeans read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The Jewish chief priest then said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts one for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there. So they put a sponge full of vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, in order to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the religious authorities asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the religious authorities, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who had at first come to him by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus, 
and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the carrial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. We are left to contemplate the passion, the death of Christ. Encourage you to continue in that spirit tonight and have the opportunity tomorrow to come to the community room and, and experience even more of that journey to the cross. Let us go tonight in contemplation in meditation, in silence, and always in the grace of God.